They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are... Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling! It's not glamorous or fun at all. Taking tons of bumps at the school. That's just basically paying your dues. Makes you realize how bad you want to be a wrestler. My life on the independent circuit, well... Just because of my uh, young-looking appearance and my haircut, I guess. It's just... <laughs> there was this idea floated around uh, being this uh, paper boy and coming out to the ring on a bicycle. And... What can you really say? Uh, except the, the... I don't... I don't really feel comfortable with it, but, uh, you know, whatever Les wants to do, you know, I'll do it. because. I this is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And stay tuned for a very special offer courtesy of Meowbox just for our listeners a little bit later on. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz. And John, today's episode came together so quick. I can't even believe, looking back earlier in this week, that we did not have this on the schedule, but it came at us in such a rapid-fire fashion that we had to get it done and get it out very, very quickly, and that is with the former MTV True Life documentary participant, and that is the former Paperboy Rapid Delivery Rory Fox and also Rapid Fire Rory Fox. Uh, Rory Fox joined us after the articles were posted on a couple different websites regarding our interview with Les Thatcher. It was a great, uh, the second part to a two-part interview where we had uh, the first part with our Dean Ambrose episode, which please go back and check out. But we were joined by Rory after uh, we both kind of got in contact with each other at the same time. And you kind of put that together for us, John, and it's a, a really big testament to you and how fast your turnaround time is. But also, um, you know, the MTV True Life special really hits home with a lot of fans. It was really a great look into professional wrestling, which at that time there was only a couple different outlets where you could really see that. I mean, Beyond the Mat was, you know, still relatively, uh, I think, if it wasn't out yet, it was on the way. And there wasn't many, you know, behind-the-scenes takes on pro wrestling that we see today where there's tons and tons and tons of different ways that you can see behind the scenes, especially, my God, you know, with WWE and Tough Enough. But why don't you tell us about the MTV Tough Enough special? Why don't you tell us about Roy Fox and tell us about the impact that that Tough Enough special has had looking back now nearly 17 years later. I can't even believe I'm saying that, but 17 years later, we're still talking about MTV True Life. I am a pro wrestler. We're still talking about Rapid Delivery Roy Fox. We're still talking about how Les Thatcher gave him that gimmick, how they went about it. It's a great, amazing episode. It's got some of the most controversial aspects that we've ever had on our show. But, John, I really do want to get your take. And what do you think about MTV True Life and Rory Fox? 
Yes, indeed, Chad. Rory Fox, what a great guest he was. And quite frankly, what a straight shooter. I mean, we got a lot of great stuff from him and so much energy, too. It's just uh, unbelievable the amount of energy this guy has. Uh, I loved it. But you're asking the thoughts on the great MTV special, The True Life, the documentary from, I believe it was about 1999, about pro wrestling. Tony Atlas is on it. Uh, you got Triple H in China on it. And, of course, you got Rapid Delivery, the paper boy himself, Rory Fox, who was a big part of the show, obviously, as they you know they go to, down to Heartland Wrestling with Les Thatcher and basically um, you know go through almost tough enough style where, where you're seeing this guy – get trained and uh, make through the business, although it, it's pre-tough enough. It's almost the precursor to tough enough. But uh, you know what I mean, Chad. Um, but uh, I love getting his take on the MTV special. When you listen to the interview, it, it's it's very candid. It's very real. It's very honest. And just great, great story about that MTV special, about the nickname uh, Rapid Delivery and how maybe he wanted it to be something else, and then great about Les Thatcher as well. And, of course, there is a little incident that was made famous uh, recently by Chris Jericho uh, highlighting it in his last book and also featuring a story with Zack Ryder on one of his uh, Talk is Jericho podcast episodes uh, about a story regarding Rory Fox, uh, which Rory actually ended up getting a chance to get on Jericho and uh, discuss it and defend himself. But why don't you talk about what that story was uh, and give us a little detail about it. Yes. Of course, there is a story. Um, when he was in the WWE in uh, 2009, he had a uh, match against Zack Ryder on ECW. And uh, the great story about his pants ripping apart at the end. And uh, it's it's near the um, obviously near the end of the match. And it's also near the end of the interview as well. We talk about it. So it's, it's great. It's very revealing. And it's quite surprising. And, and, and just the way he tells the story is so great. So... I just, I don't, I, I was just dying laughing at it because I, I was trying to remember it, and then he literally, he, he basically gets so vivid about the story. I'm like putting the pieces together. I'm like, oh my god, yes, ECW TV. It's right. The camera cut away funny, so you couldn't really see anything, but you know something happened. So it was just great. It was him versus Zack Ryder, and you get all his great opinions of what he thinks about Zack Ryder, what he thinks about his pants ripping, what he even thinks about maybe his seamstress. So I mean, that was just a great, great funny story, and. It's one of those things that if you see it, you'll never forget it. And if you haven't seen it, you're definitely going to want to go out and uh, search for it because it's very interesting. Uh, what do you think about that, Chad? What do I think about it? I think it's very funny, but, you know, it's not something that should define this guy because, you know, stuff happens in the ring. Stuff happens anywhere. You go to your job, you spill coffee on yourself, you look like an idiot for the rest of the day because you have coffee on your tie or on your shirt. So it's not something that should definitely define him. I do have a family member, my uncle specifically, who cannot hear the story without hysterically laughing. So I hope we do it justice from his ears and what we were able to talk about with that. But I don't think it should define Rory Fox because the guy is a great wrestler. Uh, you know, I'd seek him out for that. Don't always just seek him out just to find his pants ripping. But that is not where the story ends with this Rory Fox interview. These incredible shoot comments by Rory Fox regarding a former TNA Impact Wrestling superstar uh, who was recently in the news and a former Lucha Underground star who was recently in the news. Uh, same guy, but in the news for the same companies. Um, 
And I hate to even do this now, but we're going to preview, uh, you know, the fact that next episode is going to have Renee Dupree, former WWE Tag Team Champion, the youngest tag team champion in the history of WWE, with some pretty intense comments himself in our show, which has never really been built off of these controversial comments as back-to-back episodes containing just that. And they're very, very honest, very, very passionate, and you're going to want to listen to these comments by Rory Fox, uh, but John, I'll let you describe it a little bit more, um, and really, uh, you know, stay tuned because there's a lot of juice coming out of these. Now, this episode, like I said, was the most candid, honest, real, and the most energetic uh, we've ever done. It's almost shoot style a little bit. We're, we're talking about some instances, especially down in Texas, when he dealt with a certain someone who you'll be very, very interested, a former TNA star, former Lucha Underground star, so you really want to listen for that one because he buries this guy, and uh, pretty soon um, we will be posting a video of, of what exactly he was talking about, so you're really going to want to check that out. And it, it is, it, It's not funny, but if you watch it, he, the way he tells a story is funny because this guy basically stiffs him and then acts like uh, you know like nothing happened and and you hear the backstory about those two and how much of dick this guy is so you really really want to want to listen to that one this episode with Rory Fox and our next episode with Rene Dupree are two of the biggest controversial episodes that we've ever done here on the two man power trip of wrestling. They shoot, and they shoot hard. So this one and the next one, you are really, really going to want to see. And uh, one of our shoots is so hard uh, with Rene Dupree that it may not make it to air. So trust me, you're going to want to hear this one, and you're going to want to hear that one. And don't forget, like I mentioned earlier, today's episode is brought to you by Meowbox and Meowbox.com. And when you enter the code POWERTRIP10 in all capitals, you're going to save 10% off your first subscription with Meowbox and Meowbox.com. We are so happy to have Meowbox on board with the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we are going to see many, many, many more things to come from Meowbox in the very near future. So thank Thank you to them and John. We're going to hand it over to you to do a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. We urge you to stay tuned to the end of the interview. Please stay tuned to the end to hear the shoot comments on the former TNA and former Lucha Underground star that Rory Fox has some pretty uh, colorful things to say. And uh, John, I'm going to hand it over to you for a little bit more info, a little more info about Meowbox and Meowbox.com, as well as a little two-man power trip of wrestling business. Yes, Chad. Meowbox, baby. The best in the business. Meowbox.com. They have a great service called One Box Can where you donate a can of food to a shelter cat for every Meowbox purchased on your behalf, which is great. They also personalize your Meowbox with your cat's name on the inside of it. And all edible items are made in the USA or Canada, so you actually know where your items are coming from. But most importantly to me, because my cat Lucy, she has a very special diet, so she cannot get the edible items. They actually replace your meow box of edible items with toys and surprises. So that is great for meow box. So please go to meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. That is meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10. Now for some TMP. 
RPT Business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Rasslin Pal and at Two Man Power Trip. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. While you're on iTunes, please check out the feed featuring past guests such as Sergeant Slaughter, Kamala. Jim Ross, Jesse the Body Ventura, Diamond Dallas Page, the late great Dusty Rhodes, Bushwhacker Luke, George Animal Steel, Ricky the Dragon, the Steamboat, Harley Race, and so, so, so many more. So please check that out. Also, the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Check out our website. We always got some new fun and exciting stuff on there and also please check us out on the i-95 sports network that's right we are live at 6 p.m with best of episodes every monday night so please at 6 p.m eastern every monday night on the i-95 sports network now without any further ado please you're gonna want to hear this one folks great great episode straight shooter very candid you get to hear a lot about the mtv special a lot of stuff about what he thinks about the paperboy gimmick a lot of stuff, what he thinks about Les Thatcher, and a lot of the guys he trained with uh, down in uh, HWA, such as Nigel McGuinness, Shark Boy, his experiences with Matt Stryker. You're going to hear it all, folks. He's not just the guy from the MTV special. He's done so much more in the business, and he's got so much to offer, and he's got so many funny, funny stories, and he's got so much great energy. I mean, the, the guy's been there, done that, been in the WWE, he's been all over the world. But, folks, you're going to want to please enjoy this episode with Rory Fox. And before I kick it to the episode, please check out Rory Fox on Twitter at Rory Fox, uh, excuse me, at Rory Fox underscore, and his Facebook page, which is a Rory Fox fan page for all booking information. So without any further ado, please enjoy the episode with Rapid Delivery, Rory Fox. Well, joining us on the line tonight is a definite ring veteran. You might know him from the MTV True Life special. And on that show, he was rapid delivery. But tonight, he is Rory Fox, and he is with us. And thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, thanks for having me, two-man power trip. It's great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you, too. So now, uh, it's funny, uh, we had an interview that was published on a couple different websites with Les Thatcher. Uh, your trainer, of course, and we was talking great detail about the MTV True Life special, and it's hard to believe that that was 17 years ago from a fan's perspective, but I can't imagine how you feel looking back 17 years later on MTV True Life. Talk about that experience and talk about what that did for you in your career. Yeah, it's unbelievable to think about that now. You know, I was just a, a, a 22-year-old kid in August there when I uh, packed up everything I had and moved out to uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, you know, for Les Thatcher. Um, you know, it, it was so funny with Les. Les was so great because uh, actually when I was inquiring about wrestling schools, uh, Les was the only one that actually got on the phone with me and talked to me, and uh, that pretty much sold me on it. I couldn't get – I kept getting Killer Kowalski's uh, voicemail, and I believe uh, ECW I got a voicemail as well. But, uh, yeah, Les took the time to talk with me and uh, just told told me all about the business – or not, not really tell me about the business, but, you know, just – told me what he could do here at the training school. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, I was always an undersized guy, especially back then. Like now, I don't know, I wouldn't be so undersized. But back then, you know, you think about it, Les Thatcher had a 20-some year 
uh, career in business wrestling, and he was an undersized guy that got over everywhere he went. So I thought, you know, that'd be a good place to start. Yeah, definitely a good place to start, and definitely uh, I can definitely believe that Les was one guy who did pick up the phone because when you get him going, he can go on all night, and we had a, an absolute ball talking to him about literally every aspect of his career, and uh, you know, and it was very detailed that special that MTV True Life, but. Of course, yeah. we remember from watching that special, because everybody did back then, originally there was yeah. another guy who was going to be the focus of Les's training school, and I don't really want to even give him the uh, the promotion because he was such a jabroni, and he really showed his true colors pretty <laughs> early. But how did it go about picking you as, well, to, as being the focus after that? Okay, that's a great story, and if, if we're not going to mention his name, I just want to say thank you wherever you are, if you would have not been such a screw-up and, uh, I don't know if I can say any other, a screw-up and, I don't know, I'll say crackhead, um, if you would not have been a crackhead and a thief, uh, I never would have got the opportunity uh, to be a part of the MTV True Life documentary. I was another guy at the wrestling school, you know, about six, you know, seven months in, and, you know, I was I was doing all right at, at wrestling training, and... Uh, when they went around and interviewed everybody, I was a guy, you know, from small town Iowa. That was legit. You know, I was from a town of 100 people, never really left the state of Iowa. And I'm telling my whole story about how I saved all my money to come out here working in the factories and had this dream since I was five years old. Because um, there was two two people I, uh, you know, I idolized. I idolized uh, when I was a kid was like the British Bulldogs and uh, Ryan Sandberg because, you know, I'm from, you know, Chicago Cubs was big to me. But, uh, yeah, that was one of my dreams, and I came out there, and all of a sudden, this kid, he just stopped showing up. He uh, stopped coming to practice, um, just, he would go out all night and uh, tell every, tell all the chicks at the club that he was a wrestler, and, I don't know, he's, he was definitely already worried about being a TV star, so they kind of gave up on him, and they went back to, oh, gosh, we have to salvage this, what are we going to do? And then they thought, well, how about the kid from Watkins, Iowa? You know, he has a story. And lo and behold, they go with me, and now I got this opportunity on a, a national TV, you know. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, it's so unbelievable because, I mean, it's almost like uh, he was living the cliché uh, style of, uh, of, a, of a wrestler that uh, pretty much negatively impacted the whole take on the show. I'm sure for MTV it was great yeah. for them because – True uh -huh. Life, I mean, you know, if you look in line with the real world and other shows that they've done, yeah. at that point was, you know, that was kind of innovative to look into a uh, a reality landscape like that. But why don't we talk about how in that time period, 99, 2000, mm -hmm. I'm sure after being on True Life, you know, yeah. you were pretty, uh, you know, you were pretty pretty good yeah. commodity for, for the indie scene. And we got to see you get your character handed to you live yeah. on a, a television special. Why don't you tell us about how Les did that whole presentation to you and what your thoughts were? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It, it opened doors for me. But uh, first, yeah, we'll discuss uh, how we came up with the character. And, and just for everybody out there that was wondering, that was one take. This wasn't rehearsed reality TV where, like, okay, Les, Ask Steve this and ask Steve that, and Steve asked Les this. One shot, one camera shot, and that was it. I had an idea. I don't know. It was something about this old Brandon Lee movie called, uh, it was called Rapid Fire. And I really liked that name, Rapid Fire. So 
I came and mixed and matched. I came up with, with uh, several names that started with an R, and I had several names that started with an F. And I had this whole list up and down, <laughs> and uh, I told Les about the rapid fire, and then Les looks at my names, and <laughs> you know, me and my buddies always joke about this. It's like these weren't full names. Like it was a mix and match, and, and Les, <laughs> Les, let them, Les read them across, and uh, so many people I know like quoted this, Ricky Fury, Rob Faith. Rory Fargo. It was like, no, I just, I just wanted to be rapid fire so I could have like the RF on my trunks, everything matched. And, and that's when, that's when Les, Les pulled the old swerve on me and told me, how about rapid delivery, you know, since you're from the Midwest and you look like Opie from Mayberry, how about rapid delivery? And I'm thinking in my head, Okay, I've been in the business for five minutes. Am I going to argue with Les Thatcher, who's been in the business 40 years, about what my character should be? So, so of course, I'm saying, yeah, that's great. And the funny thing about this is uh, Tony Atlas was actually in the special. Well, two years later, we actually did a match on Halloween where uh, I was no longer the nice kid. I was now this Hollywood MTV superstar. Success went to my head, and I wrestled Tony Atlas that night. And he told me, he goes, Rory, I got to tell you, when I saw that show, I saw when Les Thatcher told you that gimmick, boy, I died on the ground rolling and laughing. Because I remember, remember those days when uh, somebody would t tell you about a gimmick, and you're supposed to go like, yeah, that's wonderful. But, uh, yeah, Tony got a kick out of that years later when I talked to him about it. But, yeah, um, it all made sense now, though, if you think about it. When you first start training and when you get your first some matches, you know, you don't know who the hell you are. You're just out there. A character gets you out there and, and it gives you a reason to be out there. Because, like, that first year, I didn't know who the hell I was. I, Les did tease me sometimes because I was trying to do T-bone suplexes. Well, goddamn, he thinks he's Taz. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Taz was a guy who was emulating. Here I am, 5'9", and think I'm going to be the, the suplex machine also. So it's so funny, you know, what you think when you're, that age, what you know, and then you learn all these years later you didn't know shit, and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Now, Les was talking a little bit about, you know, the, the rapid delivery, the gimmick, and yes, basically saying that you were getting ribbed a little bit by the boys, saying that you literally were going to be a paper boy, and they, they were going to, um, you know, bring a bike out, and you were going to hand out paper. You know, what's the story behind that? Were the guys ripping you about the gimmick? Yes, uh, he's a, a guy on the show too. Also, he was a good, a great hand, great manager. He should have had a career in WWF as a heel manager from the South. Uh, GQ Masters. He's actually in the uh, True Life. He's one of the guys in the tag match that I wrestled against that night with that awesomely, awesomely bad mullet. Um, you know, he's the one that says, "Well, if you don't listen to me out there, I'll just have to beat the shit out of him." But uh. Yeah, he goes, hey, Rory, I hear you're going to have a bicycle. And yeah, Shark Boy was ribbing me about it, too, man. I was I was terrified. Um, and actually, the funniest part was after uh, myself and Les filmed that spot for MTV, you go, this footage is already in the can. I called Les up that night and said, because I kept going to my head, Rory Fox, Rory, Rory Fox. I just, it doesn't sound right. But at the time on that TV, the sound, it, you know, sounded all right. Then I thought about it, I was like, oh, my God, my name's going to be Rory Fox. It sounds terrible. And I actually called up Les and thought, hey, do you think maybe we could change my name? He's like, what? You you stupid little bastard. This is already filmed for TV. We're not changing it. <laughs> and it was, I just remember that. And I just 
just tickles me to death now thinking about that. that I actually thought I could tell less. Hey, can we change the gimmick even though you filmed it? And I, I don't feel comfortable with that name. Uh, so funny. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, Shark Boy there, but what were your thoughts on him and, and some of the other trainees that were uh, with you down there in uh, in Ohio? Oh, Shark Boy was tremendous. He became really good. Uh, B.J. Whitmer was there, of course. You know, Nigel McGinnis, um, Cody Hawk, the guy who trained uh, Dean Ambrose. Cody Hawk was a, another tremendous worker. And then later on, you had Chet the Jet Jablonski with uh, – who he was also developmental OVW, um, and his tag partner who's out there now that's a that's a great worker Pepper Parks, um, minus the pigtails now. He used to be the cheerleader and now he's a you know a fitness guru. But uh, yeah, we had him too, and, and then Chad Collier who was trained by Dean Malenko. He was always around too, you know. So we had him to work with too. Uh, we had a great a great little territory there. If we could have had some more towns, we could have really really did something there. I mean. We were like the developmental without the money. I mean, we just had good, solid talent up and down, and people had gimmicks, and we had angles and titles, and it was it was a damn good wrestling. I mean, obviously, you just named you know a bunch of great uh, talent, and, and yeah, you know, they went on to do, uh, especially Nigel oh. McGinnis, some some big time things in the business. Oh yeah, Nigel McGinnis. He had a. There's another one for you. He used to rib me because I was rapid delivery. He'd always say quick release in the promos if we were doing any kind of feud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, I got a BJ Whitmer story for you. I last time I talked to him, I gave him shit about it too. Okay, uh, back in the day at Les's school, he only sold like a certain name brand of uh, protein products, and the thing was. If, if Les kind of caught you buying some other brand, you know, not his brand that he was selling at the school, you would definitely have heat with Les. And uh, one day, this is uh, B.J. Whitmer was, he was still kind of in training school, maybe out of that, maybe some matches. But uh, I saw him eating like another name brand protein bar. And I go, it, it was actually, it was, it was a lean body brand, I believe. And uh, I just go, hey, B.J., what are you eating over there, a lean body bar? And Les is like, what, what, what's he, BJ Whitmer, lean body, you need to get a body, you don't need to be eating a lean body bar, <laughs> anyway, that's Les's laugh there, but uh, I'm sorry, Les, I got that imitation, but uh, this is when uh, BJ was a pretty skinny kid yet, you know, he was like 19 years old, so it was, but anyway, it was like, he needs to get a body, <laughs> not a lean body, um, but yeah, there was such, such a great group of guys, a lot of camaraderie, I mean, we, so much fun. Do you still talk to, you know, Nigel and BJ Whitmer, who are obviously big in ROH today, but do you still I, I, I tweet them sometimes. You know, I, I tweeted my condolences to Nigel when his father passed. You know, I'm sorry to hear about that. You know, that's the thing, you know, a lot of time can go by, but when you see these guys again, you know, it just you just pick up where you left off. Um, but I definitely follow those guys and see what they're up to. Um, so I'm happy Nigel got to do his documentary, but, you know, he definitely should have had the WWE run. He was he was very good. Good to see BJ. You know, came back for one more, one more round, and he's doing great at Ring of Honor, doing more wrestling than probably he did before. So it, you know, that was good to see also. Yeah, with Nigel, it's kind of a shame, you know, that he didn't move on to bigger and better things. And obviously, BJ Whitmer got injured for a little bit, severe uh, neck injury. Yeah. I almost thought mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be uh, doing bigger and better things, but. Uh, Obviously, oh, no, speaking uh, of and uh, speaking of neck injuries, the only time and that was a great thing about Les's school too, is you know sometimes it seemed like we were just bumping a little too much, too many bumping drills in class. Maybe we should do a little more cardio. I tell you what, all that bumping, you know, 
learning how to safely bump correctly will definitely help you in the long run. And I mean, I've been, I was pretty injury free for the most part of my career. And the only one time I really felt any kind of real neck pain was, uh, this is when BJ was lighter also. Um, I was healing in that match and he did a dive over the top rope on me and I was standing in too far and all his weight came on the top of my head. And <laughs> I feel like it made me an inch shorter that night. But, uh, other than that, you know, I was I was pretty lucky otherwise, uh, injury-wise. But uh, that was another uh, BJ story. Sorry. Now, from MTV, obviously, you know, that was a big deal. And the documentary, The True Love, I mean, everything there was a huge deal. And you're in HWA. But did being on MTV open up other doors and other avenues for you? Yeah, that that's another reason, you know. I, you know, I got this opportunity, and it helped me in so many ways. Like, okay, I had my first match in 1999. And I had to go home in 2001, you know, financial reasons, and go home. And I sent in a demo tape and resume to WWF, and Kevin Kelly was the head of talent rate, talent relations at that time. So I was pretty happy about this also. I, I didn't, like, ask Les to get me a booking. I actually did this on my own, and I felt very proud about it. Two years in the business, and I got booked for the TVs the Monday, Tuesday. And the craziest thing happened – the very first time I ever saw professional wrestling as a little kid was like 1985, 86, somewhere in there. And King Haku, who later became Ming and Haku, and, uh, you know, he was on the card that night. And here it was all the way in 2001. Uh, that little boy that saw him at the show was actually wrestling him on the Jack Metal uh, syndicated tapings that happened before Raw that night in front of 20,000 people at the uh, Target Center in Minneapolis. And... So I wanted to thank Kevin Kelly for giving me that chance. And then they actually did commentary about the match. And uh, Michael Hayes actually referred to the MTV special. And they actually said this is when the uh, first Tough Enough was coming around. He goes, who could be the next Rory Fox in the making on Tough Enough? That's like, that's so crazy. Now it's like they, they won't even acknowledge uh, enhancement people's names now, let alone mention them in such regard like that. So, yeah, it gave me, I got WWF bookings based off of uh, the MTV thing. So, yeah. Otherwise, I'd just been in another, you know, they're a little undersized white guy with a, you know, decent build, nothing special. So, it, it definitely opened uh, opened doors for me. You know, I can't thank MTV enough for that opportunity. Yeah. Now, uh, if you can, a little bit about the, uh, the WWF slash WWE, and that was an interesting time to be getting into the business. And now, you say you yes. stepped away for a little while in 2001, and that's when the business completely changed. But Absolutely. talk about that WWF environment and that, uh, you know, that time period where you're able to get in there. And I guess, you know, congratulations that you're still here after Haku. That's a, uh, that's a hell of a... Uh, yeah, thank you. And, yeah, and years later, they fed me to Umaga, but we'll, we'll talk about that later here. Um, yeah, it was so funny. Back in 2001, there was actually one locker room yet. There wasn't the extras broom closet or stairway yet. So here I am. I'm, in, I'm you know, 20, 23, 24 years old, and there's... There's Big Show. There's uh, Shawn Michaels. There's Triple H. There's, you know, all these guys I grew up watching. It was just unbelievable, and everyone was very friendly. And uh, the only the only time I got heat that night is when I had to put on my boots quick, and I happened to sit in Hardcore Holly's chair. And Hardcore Holly said, "No, that's fine, kid. Get your boots on." Until Big Show totally called me out. He was like, "Bob, would you like my chair? You're a veteran. Here you go." <laughs> I got up and kind of hid back to the corner there and put my boots on. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, that, uh... also, also, also that night, uh, Brock Lesnar and Shelton Benjamin 
uh, we're in a tag team now. This is when they, they called them up from OBW and they were doing dark matches, and Jesse the Body Ventura actually, Governor Ventura walked them to the ring that night, and, and he was actually smoking a cigar throughout the building. <laughs> that's, that's that was another great story. memory. That's yeah. a hell of a story without a doubt. But what do you think about that locker room looking back? And do you think that we're ever going to see um, maybe that, that kind of veteran dynamic, you know, in the business again? And now that, you know, NXT and the WWE Performance Center is uh, kind of the uh, breeding ground for the next era of superstars, is that something that we're definitely not going to see well, anymore in professional wrestling? Well, the the reason we won't see that anymore because there was all these different uh, levels of veteran experience, but also it was such a melting pot of styles. If you think about it, you had Shawn Michaels from Texas, uh, you had wrestlers from from Calgary from the Hearts, you had uh, X Pac from Dean Malenko's school. Um, you know, you had all these different uh, wrestling styles, and then they would put their matches together, and you see these unique things. But now lots of them are from the same training school there, so you know it's a lot of uh, they're going to be taught the same way, such as HWA sometimes, you know. If if you have a card full of HWA guys, we tend to kind of do the same spots we learned at training sometimes. So it was always good to bring in uh, uh, different styles and different guys from different areas, whoever could come in. Yeah, that, that always helped us out so much. But, like, now there's not such a diverse level of experience now. I mean, you got a few guys that have been there a long time, and the, a lot of the guys are coming up together at NXT. You know, they're not... They're not getting to work with uh, guys with 10 years in the business every night on the road. So, But these guys are way so athletic, though, definitely. Now, what do you think yeah, about I mean, the there's a lot of talent on the current roster right now. You know, I you know, I enjoy Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, Cesaro, Kevin Steen. Uh, oh, yeah, you know, Tyson Kidd for, you know, what's happened. The, the New Day, I love the New Day. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of talent. John Cena's... A lot of people give John Cena shit, but he's been putting on great matches. I mean, this U.S. title thing was like the best thing to happen to him in a long time. Now, what do you think about the fact that all these guys are coming up together and they're really they're learning the same system? And, you know, that competitive landscape that used to be there kind of dissipates now because they're all really, you know, and not that maybe you yeah. did it before, but, you know, rooting for each other and nobody's really looking for somebody to, you know, slip on the banana yeah. peel so the other guy yeah. can jump in his spot. But do you think that that's going to be uh, good for the evolutionary process of uh, the WWE in the long run? I don't know. It's like, you know, every every talk show usually talks about it. It seems like everyone's so scared to really take a chance now. It's like just do what you're told and, uh, you know, do what we say. It's like no one gets to. There's not much ad lib going on. I wish. I wish there was way more ad lib or and bullet points. That was fun. What we got to do at HWA, but that you know that was our little regional level. But we got to be more of ourselves. I mean, you can't have one or two guys scripting promos for everybody. And I know probably everyone everyone says that right now. But that's that's just how I think. I wish they get. They were at. They had a little more creativity in what they did and what their gimmick was. Yeah, definitely. I feel like... Uh, but, yeah, either way, though, I'm always going to watch. So it doesn't matter. I'll just be an armchair quarterback, you know? Yep. But I feel like definitely for sure that uh, so, you know, yeah. something needs needs to change a little bit. But um, mm-hmm. as far as you, as we're talking about the WWE, the WWF, you mm-hmm. had a bunch of other uh, dark matches, and there's actually a story of your dark match in 2009 against Zack Ryder. What is that? weird, interesting story. Is that true about your, I guess you split your pants or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another one. Um, I had some earlier stuff before that, but we can talk to Zack Ryder now. Um, it, 
it was a horrible incident when it happened, but if it wouldn't have happened, um, you know, I wouldn't have been interviewed by one of my idols, Chris Jericho, on his tour bus when he was doing a Fozzie concert. And I, would, I, I was on Talk as Jericho, you know. I was pretty much out of the business for four years, and this happened to start wrestling again. And I, I tweeted Chris Jericho, and I said, hey, could I tell my side of the story? Because I was pretty upset about that interview with uh, Chris Jericho and Ryder. They really downplayed it like that was all my fault and just, you know, they really, really buried me, and it really hurt my feelings because Jericho was one of my heroes. And I was I was upset with Ryder about that too because I believe he yanked the trunks too hard. He almost took like a back bump pulling so hard. And if you ever watch, you know, you're always in close to the corner and you do it. You don't try to do it half <laughs> halfway across the ring trying to do that spot. But um, also a certain person in Cincinnati, and I'm not going to give her any, her any credit or anything, yeah, she happened to design wrestling trunks for me where – the seam was on the bottom instead of on the side. So, yeah, when uh, Zach pulled up, they totally split, and the trunks just shot straight up to my around my waist there. And, yeah, my whole whole business was showing on there. And the funny part was is I'm still going on in the match. I'm just trying to cover up and sell at the same time. And in the same time, in my mind, I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is filmed for ECW, which is going to air in an hour on Sci-Fi Network, I ruined, this is footage they won't be able to use, it's wasted, and I'm just freaking out, I'll never be able to go back again, and before I know it, they're throwing a towel on me, and I'm getting helped to the back by the referee, but if you watch it, you actually watch it on TV, um, you can't see anything, all you hear is some cackles and cat calls from the fans, it's like, uh-oh, something happened, but as far as on TV, you would not be able to tell, and I guess uh, Chris Chris Jericho said later on that Vince and everybody really laughed and had a good time with it, but it's like when I went back through the curtain, there was like nobody there. I was like this man alone, just walking walking alone, this, the, the walk of shame with nobody around. And um, So, yeah. Yeah, if it wasn't for that, I mean, yeah, it gave me – I thought maybe, just maybe, though, this could be a new gimmick for me, like how many – how many uh, different ways could I have, like, a wardrobe malfunction, you know? But, you know, nothing more <laughs> really came out of it. But, yeah. Apparently Vince wasn't pissed, though. He had a good laugh about it, but he definitely didn't show it in front of me. So, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Zach Ryder, you know, he, you know, he's okay. Or, you know, he didn't really uh, pan out the way uh, he probably should have in the business. But what are your thoughts on Zach Ryder? Zach is a great talent. He... He did something that, like, no one else had done in a long time. I mean, he organically, you know, created his own push. He busted his ass with all the YouTube clips and all this social media that WWE uses all the time now. And because he wasn't a guy that they deemed that was going to be over, they they squashed it because they didn't create it. And that's, that's kind of crappy for him. But, hey, you know, people out there, the fans, other people, like, say, oh, he's just a jabroni and all this, this, and this. I'm telling you, all you fans, you would give, and a lot of the boys, we'd give our left nut to have his spot. He's on the road every week, week in, week out, year in, year out, on them house shows, and the house shows are the funnest part anyway. He's doing all the house shows, competitive matches. He's at all the pay-per-view. Well, you know, who cares about them TV matches? He's getting to travel the world, doing quality house show matches all over, and now he gets to have some fun at NXT in the tag team division. I mean, my hat's off to him. I'd gladly have his career. People want to Call him a jabroni. Well, I'd gladly be that uh, jabroni if that's if that's what a jabroni is. 
Now, besides, obviously, Ryder, we mentioned uh, your match against Taku, and then, obviously, you mentioned briefly about Umaga. You also had a couple matches against Heidenreich, Schnitzky, Stevie Richards yeah. on uh, ECW TV. Yep. What was your overall feeling uh, on, you know, on your work with the WWE? Did you feel like you could have signed a deal with them at any point? I I don't really know if that was the case. I, I never really got any good feedback. Because, see, I never got that illustrious... Uh, dark match where you can actually be truly competitive in matches. I never got to showcase that. I was never allowed to cut promos backstage. So I don't know, maybe I should have pursued it a little more and, you know, maybe talk to Brooklyn Brawler or whoever, some of them guys backstage. But uh, John Laurinaitis, though, I got to tell you this, though, you know, he always liked his guy 6'2", 6'3". Whenever I would walk by him, he'd always act like he's, he'd he'd always be on his cell phone. I don't know if he was actually talking to somebody, but (laughs) he saw me come and he always put that cell phone up to his ear. So I don't know if that was a rib or what. But, uh, oh, uh, the other thing that maybe this, maybe this would have been a breakthrough for me. I don't know, but it's, it's just my thinking. Um, The night I had to wrestle uh, Haku in Columbus, Ohio, um, I knew Matt Stryker because of, uh, I did the Super 8 tournament in uh, 2005, I believe. I wrestled Petey Williams in it, and Petey Williams is a great guy. Also, uh, Jim Kettner, you know, put on a Super 8 tournament for years. He is a great guy. Flew me out to Delaware for the uh, tournament. And I knew Matt Stryker from there, and he happened to be doing the school teacher gimmick yet, and he was wrestling on Sunday Night Heat that night. Yeah, I know, that was a long time ago, Sunday Night Heat. But uh, I said, Matt, do you think there's any way I could work with you tonight? He's like, hey, I'll take care of it. And he did, buddy. He's, he told Sarge. Sarge had the chalkboard then. Sarge had the old uh, board with the marker. And he said, okay, Rory Fox versus Matt Stryker. And I'm thinking, yes, I'm finally going to get a seven-minute match on TV, and it's against Matt Stryker, so I'll actually be able to have some offense and really actually show some fire and show something. And then I got the pat on the shoulder. And it was Finley, and he goes, "He's got Umaga," and I thought, "Oh damn!" <laughs> Which I didn't sell it, of course. But I thought, "Oh man, there goes a seven-minute match on Heat." I know that's not as much exposure, but <clears throat> I would rather have had the seven minutes. So I get two minutes on Monday Night Raw, which was great exposure. Um, I was in really good shape then time too, so that was definitely a good time to be on TV. Uh, I got a two-minute match with uh, Umaga. And mind you, this is fresh off the night before. There was a pay-per-view where uh, Umaga destroyed Ric Flair in five minutes. So guess what's going to happen to me the next night? (laughs) And if you go back and look at the clip there, you'll see we go from – Armando goes, we go from the 16-time champion to you. And I'm like, oof. And, and, oh, the great part about that also was – is Dusty Rhodes was the producer of that match. So I got to inter- interact with Dusty there. He goes, now, baby, I don't want you to be scared. I just want you to be like, you're not sure what's going on. You know, you're ready to fight, but you're not scared. And, and I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> Dusty coaching me on that. <laughs> and, yeah, um, Umaga, you know, he totally took care of me. I always appreciate that. I was scared to death when he put me under that, when he put me on my ass on the bottom rope there. You know, the uh, the... The twins, they do that now, the, uh, you know, the Usos, the old butt in the corner. He said, he goes, yo, bro, just make sure your head's under that second buckle. And I'm like, yes, sir. And he came full charge. I thought that ass was going to destroy my face. And uh, I got to give him tip of the cap to him. Uh, I didn't feel a thing. And the other part about that match was 
I had to take his splash from the top rope. This was before he was doing uh, what, what the other movie did with the hand. I don't know what it was. But anyway, I wasn't supposed to move. I was supposed to be just like a dead carcass laying there. So if you ever watched anybody like take this super, spy, super fly splash, I know he's not the best person to say right now. They kind of raise their arms up as they're about to catch the guy doing the splash. So my arms are down at my sides. I'm supposed to be laying there like I'm dead. So I can't even brace myself for the splash. And he and I thinking, God, if if I guess if I die here, this is a place to die in the middle of a ring on live Monday Night Raw. And then he <laughs> hits me with it. That guy, I didn't feel a thing again. It was all his hands and knees hitting the mat, and man, he took care of me, and I'll never forget that. Very very good. Now I start to yeah. wind it down a little bit here. Very curious, you know, about a lot of the guys we interview. And yeah. I know you've wrestled a ton of great guys, and, and you've been in the ring mm-hmm. with a ton of great guys. But yes. do you have a favorite match that you've had in your career? Um, I would say some of my, my days in Texas. I just also want to say also, people just think that, you know, all I did was the MTV thing. I, get, I had a long career, and the HWA held every title there. I went down to Texas for three years and uh, won championships in every major promotion down there. So there was – Unfortunately, a lot of that footage in Texas, for some reason, they don't market DVDs down there. Uh, there's a match down there with Frankie Kazarian in front of 600 people, a hot crowd that I'll never see. Uh, there's a match with me and uh, one man, Mike Dell, a great hand in Texas. He was also the psychiatrist for Dean Ambrose on Raw that time. Um, you know, we wrestled the Naturals. We wrestled LAX. I had a, I had a match with the Honky Tonk Man down there. Um, I'd say probably Kazarian down in Texas in front of that 500 people was was great. I had I was just a I had white hot heat in Texas, you know, a lot of a lot of Hispanics there, and I was the bleach blonde, tan, loudmouth from uh, Texas. Which, by the way, I uh, a lot of my heel techniques I used from my early days with two greats. I want to give props to because they helped me out so much, and I use so much of their heel stuff now. Bull Payne and Todd Morton. I want to thank them because when I was a greenhorn, didn't know shit. They they taught me so much, and I use so much of their heel mannerisms now. So, But, yeah, that that was definitely another one. Another one I would say uh, was actually the match that got me booked with uh, the Super 8 tournament and also for, for uh, WWF was my match against Shark Boy at the Columbus Clippers Stadium. I was the original MTV superstar and cruiserweight champion, and I wrestled Shark Boy there at a baseball stadium. So that was one of my favorites also because I have a baseball background. I'm from that small town by Norway, Iowa, we had that baseball movie field of or, uh, the final season. That was on the high school I went to. So to actually come full circle and wrestle in a baseball stadium and against Shark Boy, who was one, probably my greatest rival. So that was definitely another uh, favorite match. Now, has there ever been a match that you, like a dream match, if you will, a match that you haven't been able to have, that one guy you always wanted to wrestle? I guess I would say I probably wanted to <laughs> – I wanted to have that match with Ric Flair, do the Ric Flair match, wrestle Ric Flair and do all his spots, and probably Ric Flair. That is a great one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's so funny now when I do my heel matches now. Uh, I steal his backdrop out of the corner, and uh, late in the match there, the baby face starts to fire up. I have him no-sell the chops. And so, beg off. It's, it's, it's still, it still works. <laughs> you know, and... You almost you almost answered the next question because yes. you know I I kind of like to say you know what do you you know what's your legacy or what's something mm-hmm. you want to leave as your mark on the business but you kind of said that with the, pe- the fact that people haven't seen a lot yeah. of the stuff 
that you you've done, but Al, yeah. I guess you're not done. Oh, and and oh, one thing too, just want to let everybody yeah. know, I'm doing I'm doing my best to get more of this old footage out on YouTube. That shows there is more to me than just MTV's True Life and a couple of the, the squash matches on national TV. I'm going to do my best to get more of my Texas matches out there. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, but I was going to say, but you know, you you really you've you've been to a lot of territories. But has there yeah. has there been anybody who's really like either tried to um, besides Les to really help you along yeah. the way or uh, really give you the push because they had a lot of faith in you and you know the faith you know you have in yourself. But has there been anybody else hmm. that really got behind you uh, and helped push you towards yeah. you know really obtaining your goals? Well, uh, when I was wrestling in Texas, uh, Dusty Wolf, he was a journeyman in the 80s and 90s, wrestled all over. You can see him on old episodes of Superstars of Wrestling, also as Dale Wolf, because they had Dusty Broads there, so he couldn't be Dusty Wolf. He helped me out a lot in Texas, um, and also his old tag team partner, Ken Johnson. They were great journeymen that wrestled all over Mexico and all over the world. Um, uh, we would do weekly TV up in it was called uh, XCW Wrestling. This was before Ring of Honor was on that MAV TV network. We were on MAV TV network. And uh, Knight Davis and his father, Pop Davis, they, uh, we had weekly TV every Friday up there. And Dusty always booked me as that just cheating. They had an open division title there. or I'm sorry, that's another promotion, SCW. Also, Don and Sandy Holding, I want to thank them. They always treated me great. Um, yeah, I was like their TV champion there. They'd always find a way to win with a with a gimmick and never get caught. And you know the fans would always see it, and, but not the ref. And uh, he got behind me and pushed me like a despicable heel that I could be. And you know I always appreciated that. And Rudy Boy Gonzalez always treated me pretty well in Texas. But but yeah, as far as someone up at the top, you know I never I never had that kind of help. Someone that could really help me. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was you know I just wish. If WCW never would have shut down, I, I, I believe in my heart, I would have had a spot, a Jericho kind of uh, cruiserweight spot in that cruiserweight division, you know, later on if they would have stayed open. That the guy with the big mouth that could cut a promo and had a great uh, gimmick, great character, and he could have worked with all the other uh, cruiserweight guys and uh, luchadors. And I believe I, I could have went from there and really did something. But, you know, it was a time where, at, you know, some of my peak years, you know, I was just undersized for WWF. It'd be great now. I wish I was 29 now instead of 39. But, you know, that's just, just the way it went. You know, the territories, I think I would have did well in the old territories too. And that would have been unbelievable to travel territory to territory to territory and, you know, live somewhere new every two years. But, you know, that's just the, the way it was. You know, I didn't make a lot of money or become that big star, but I had a lot of respect in the different locker rooms I worked and. I I could always entertain the fans, and I could always get heat, or I could get over. That was one thing I will say. I was always able to get over wherever I went, and the promoters always had faith in me and put titles on me. So, you know, that meant a lot, too. So even if I never did make it, uh, I had a fun career. I got to wrestle all over, and I'm, I'm very thankful for my experience. Well, you're definitely, definitely over with us. And before we let you go, please... Share with the listeners where they can find you and where you will be wrestling in a town near them. All right. Uh, I don't know when this will air, but I'll actually, right now, you know, I wrestle every month for 3XW Wrestling out of Des Moines. They're a great promotion. Uh, they got great talent there. We wrestle, uh, it's usually the first Friday of every month. It's 3XW Wrestling. Um, we got some great talent there. The current champion's Mark Sterling. Um, you might know him. They were, they were security. They actually broke up the... Uh, 
Undertaker Brock Lesnar fight. Uh, Jeremy Wyatt and Mark Sterling and uh, Craig Kiesman there. There's some great talents at 3XW. There's a, some other young talent coming up there. Um, we have a show this Friday, but I don't know when this will air. But uh, yeah, I, that's my home base is 3XW and wrestling, and that's where I'm at right now. I'm looking to get into Metro Pro Wrestling too in Kansas City. That's another great promotion with a rich history of Central States wrestling. So I definitely want to invade down there sometime. But yeah, I'm mostly Two, once or twice or three shows a month right now, but I, I would gladly, you know, anybody's listening in Illinois and Wisconsin, uh, I would definitely come out that way. Let's talk some business. Uh, Sean Hernandez, I knew him from Texas Wrestling. You are, without a doubt, the biggest piece of scumbag trash in wrestling. You, uh, you gave me that border toss three different times, and three different times you dropped me on my head. What uh, what happened to Doug Williams at TNA Wrestling, I suffered that three different times, and wh- never once did he ever apologize for it. Even wow. after I was icing my neck in the back in the locker room, he didn't say a word to me about it. He did it three times. Uh, there's a RCW Wrestling, Riverside Wrestling in uh, San Antonio. They were the ones that first gave me my first matches when I moved down there. And Hernandez was like my best buddy. It was a new talent in town. I was from MTV. Oh, buddy, buddy. He was, I was his friend. I was putting him over, riding with him to some shows. And as uh, long as I was working the shows he was promoting, I was his best friend. And that company went out of business, so I started working for SCW Wrestling. And all of a sudden, a new promotion starts up again. It's a combination of different talent. And he's like, hey, Rory, can you uh, no-show SCW tonight because uh, we got a show. I'm like, I can't do that show. I'm on this show. I'll do the next show. He's like, no, you don't understand. You need to do this show. We put you we put you on the last show, and we expect you to be a part of every show. No show that one. I'm sure they'll book you again. And after that, we were no longer friends again, and I never worked a show for him again. And one night, uh, that River City Wrestling, they, they got their promotion and put it back together again. They had an, uh, a show. The locker room was outside. It wasn't even inside the building, and it was nearby where I was, was living at that time down there. And I drove by, and I said, oh, there's some of my old friends. So, and ODB was there that night, too, so I wanted to say hi to her. I knew her from the old days in Steel Domain Wrestling in Minnesota. And he's watching the monitor, and I'm just joining the, joining the boys back there just watching because it wasn't a real locker room. And he looks at me, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing here? Get the fuck out of here. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just here to say hi to some of the guys. Get the fuck out of here right now, motherfucker. Shove me down in front of all the boys. Lance Hoyt was there, too. He got a good laugh out of it that night, so fuck him, too. Uh, he got a good laugh out of this, and this is when he was a big, scary guy. He was all juiced up, and God knows who would, whatever else drugs he was on that night. But he had to show off in front of the boys. I was not there to cause any trouble. I was just there to say hi to some of the boys. He shoved me down in front of everybody, and... You know, I didn't get up and try to fight him because I was... This is when he was big and jacked. This isn't the skinny, lean guy at the end of the TNA run or Lucha. He was a scary-ass dude. So I left, and nothing ever happened again, and that was it. And he never apologized. And, you know, I think karma has a way of coming around, and it did because, think about it, he had a chance to become uh, TNA World Heavyweight Champion. He got to wrestle Sting. He got to wrestle Kurt Angle. He got a singles push, and you know what? He put on shitty matches with Sting and Kurt Angle, and I don't know yeah. how you do that. So that son of a bitch was carried, was carried by uh, Homicide and LAX. 
he was always a tag team wrestler, and that's all he'll ever be. And he once he also said to me, "Oh yeah, Rory, at least I got a contract." You know what? Congrats, you do. You're a big, jacked up Hispanic wrestler, and I was just a undersized white guy from Midwest. Of course, you're going to get an opportunity. But he's nothing more than a tag team wrestler. I I laughed my ass off when they couldn't use his footage at TNA because he was still under contract to Lucha Underground. He lied to TNA and said he had a release, and guess what? They had to throw away that footage. And yeah. He doesn't have a job now, and he's never going to be that singles champion that they always thought he could be because he sucks. So anyway, yeah, I was, that's, that's, I was that's say, my no, take on Hernandez. It makes perfect huh? sense, though, with uh, you know, with that story about uh, you know what he did with Lucha Underground and what he did with TNA. I mean, it completely screwed himself over. But I mean, how do you not verify uh, contracts yeah. with your income? And you can blame TNA for that too, though, for not double checking. Yeah, well, yeah. That, you know. And I mean that would be course. the first time that they got uh, blamed for something, but uh, yeah, let's that's, let's that's face it, they're not the most exactly organized company. <laughs> well, we appreciate this man, and uh, thanks for telling us that uh, that story. And this is going to probably.